1 Samuel 16, it's page 243 on the Bible um, in your pew. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for this? How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be your and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, "How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me." The Lord said, "Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord." Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint me. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, "Do you come in peace?" Samuel replied, "Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the." and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are, all the sons, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit, when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring them to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messages to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul, he would feel better, 
and the evil spirit would leave him. This is the word of the Lord. I'm very excited to begin this series together. There are so many great stories we're going to see from the life of David because he was a man of greatness, but also weakness, a man of uh, faithfulness, but also failure. And it all begins in the chapter we just read, chapter 16, with Samuel. Samuel the prophet. And he's there crying, weeping, grieving. Why? He's grieving because of King Saul and the way King Saul has abandoned and betrayed God. He's devastated. And it's worth just pointing out Samuel's heart for God. Samuel loves God, and Samuel loves God's people. And so when he sees King Saul not loving God and not leading God's people in love for God, he's devastated. It's worth just saying to ourselves, are we like Samuel? When we say, see God's name dishonored, when we see Christians ignore God's word or walk away from God, are we grieved? Are we devastated? Do we have a heart like Samuel does? Samuel's grieving, he's sad. And God says to him, verse 1, How long will you mourn for Saul? since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. God says, stop crying over Saul. I've rejected him. His time's done. I'm going to make a fresh start. I'm going to make a new beginning. I want you to go to Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, you're going to find a dad. He's a dad. His name's Jesse, and one of his sons is going to be king. And you know, you could translate verse 1 as, I have seen for myself a king. See, Saul was the king that the people chose. But God's saying, well, I've chosen a king for myself. This is a king I've chosen. Well, Samuel takes a bit of convincing, but eventually he goes to Bethlehem, searches for this dad, Jesse. He meets Jesse, meets his sons. They, they kind of parade in front of him like a catwalk. And we meet David, the king. And there's four things I want us to notice this afternoon about David. Four things to notice. Number one, David is the unlikely king the unlikely king. Uh, Samuel arrives, and the first son he meets is the oldest son, Eliab. And I'm guessing Eliab had the good looks of Ryan Gosling or Chris Hemsworth, maybe the business success of Elon Musk, uh, maybe he was really good with people, uh, the person everyone wanted to be friends with. Samuel sees Eliab and goes, oh, of course, this must be the king God told me about. Look at it, verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. This is king material. But look at verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him 
The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I'm sure you know the, pra- the phrase, do not judge a book by its cover. We so easily do that, don't we? We're swayed by appearances, and we don't look at what really matters, the inside. You know, we meet someone who's a smooth talker, or who's funny, or who's good-looking, and, and we let that change our perceptions, rather than their heart. Uh, we are so driven by appearances. We, we take so many selfies of ourselves, multiple versions, so we get the perfect one, and then we put it on Instagram and put on the filters to make ourselves look as good as possible. Many of us have spent the last few years on Zoom. And, you know, you've got that view of yourself on Zoom. And we all do it. You know, you, make sure, you look at yourself, make sure you look good, make sure your hair's good. We all do it. And do you know there's a feature on Zoom called Touch Up My Appearance? Have you seen that? You've all seen it. Come on, fess up. You've all seen it. You, you can turn it on and make yourself look extra good, remove any flaws, make yourself look perfect. If you were wondering why I looked so good during lockdown last year, that's why. No one, that was a joke, but anyway. Mate, um, you can laugh, it's okay. Do you know that throughout COVID, plastic surgery numbers have skyrocketed in Australia? Skyrocketed. We are so driven by appearances, by looks, and it is especially tragic when this happens in the church. Especially tragic. When in the church, God's people, we... We make value judgments based on how cool the pastor is or how great the videos are or how good the website is or how many people are sitting in the pews. And that's how we assess what's good. You see there, verse 7, he says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Isn't that refreshing? It's so exhausting always trying to be the perfect family or have the perfect looks or look younger or be successful. It's so, isn't it exhausting? We have a God who loves us, sees our heart. And so, as we're going to see, God ends up picking a king that's not kingly material at all. He's unlikely. But God's always done that. God has always humbled the exalted and exalted the humble. I mean, if you're a Christian here this afternoon, you are not a Christian because you are impressive, wealthy, good-looking, successful. None of those things. Look at the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Why are you saved? Why are you forgiven? It's only because you've humbled yourself before Jesus and said, God, I need your grace. Forgive me. It's not about being impressive. And so God says, no, not Eliab. Who does he pick to be king? Well, that's point two. The chosen king. The chosen king. Look at verse eight. And I want you to notice 
as we read these verses, the word chosen keeps coming up. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Do you remember the film Cinderella? I used to love those old Disney films. These new remakes, they're just nowhere near as good, these live-action ones. Give me the originals. Anyone with me? Anyone? Just me. Okay. But the, the originals, they're, they're, they're so good. I remember Cinderella. And you know that scene where the, um, the, the prince is trying to find the, the woman who fits the slipper? And he goes to one house and the evil stepmom's there and uh, gets, she gets all three of her daughters to try on the slipper. None of them fit it. And the man says, have you got any other daughters that live here? And the stepmom says, no, no one else. And then Cinderella hears, runs out of the kitchen, asks to try on the slipper, and it fits. And that's kind of like what's happening here. We've got Jesse, and he's parading through his sons, hoping that one of them are going to fit the kingship role, hoping that one of them, that the shoe's going to fit. And God keeps saying, no, no, no. And Samuel says to Jesse, are you sure you don't have any other kids? Any kids hiding somewhere that I don't know about? And Jesse says, well, I mean, I do have one. But, he, I mean, he's not king material. I didn't even bother inviting him, to be honest. Verse 11. There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. Now, that word youngest, actually you could translate it as smallest. It's a bit of a derogatory term, which is funny because I've stood next to the statue of David in Italy and it's incredibly tall. <laughs> He's the smallest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Being a shepherd was a lowly job. Not impressive at all. Even slaves did it. He's not king material at all. But Samuel says, no, send for him. I'm not going to sit down until I see him. Verse 12. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health. Some people translate that as reddish. In other words, David was probably a redhead. Any redheads here? Shout out to that. King David was a redhead. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. This is the one. A small, unlikely shepherd boy, the youngest, would become the greatest king in all of Israel. Why did God choose him? Why not Eliab? Why David? Answer, because God chose him. God chose him because he chose him. God, the sovereign God, the loving God who plans all things and makes all the perfect choices had his heart set on David. When it says the Lord looked at the heart in verse 7, it doesn't mean that God looked at David and went, oh, wow, what an impressive man. What a godly guy. Look how much he loves me. I'm going to pick him to be king. No, it says something similar in chapter 13. It says God's going to provide a king after God's own heart. 
What it actually means is not that David was really godly and had a great heart and so God picked him. What it means is that God had set his heart on David. David was the man of God's heart, the man God had chosen. That's how he sees things. He hadn't chosen Eliab. He had chosen David. God chooses who he wants to choose. And David was the king that he had provided. Well, David was a great king, but he failed, as we're going to see later in the series. And many of the kings that came after him failed as well. So 400 years later, the prophet Isaiah promised another king. Many years after that, an incredibly unlikely king was born in a town called Nazareth, which people thought, oh, what good could ever come from Nazareth? Born in a stable, working a blue-collar job as a carpenter, a king that would end up dying on a cross. What kind of king dies on a cross? And an unlikely king. But that king was God's perfect king, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. David, the great king, points to the perfect king, Jesus. David, the great king, points to the perfect king, Jesus, who gives us hope, peace, forgiveness, love, mercy. He is the king that we gaze at as we look at 1 and 2 Samuel. And so let me ask you 4 p.m., Do you bow your knee to Jesus? He is the king God has given us. The unlikely king that Jesus, that God rose from the dead. We all bow our knee to something, to someone. Whether we're bowing our knee to our career or money or pleasure or success or family But Jesus is the only one worthy of us bowing our knee. He is God's king. Do you bow your knee to him? So David is the unlikely king. Secondly, he is the chosen king. Thirdly, David is the shepherd king. The shepherd king. Too many leaders these days don't lead for the good of the people, they lead for themselves. I think about political leaders who have been so corrupt. I think about leaders in the arts, people like Harvey Weinstein, who've been exposed for leading for harm. I think about, tragically, some church leaders who tragically have led in harmful ways. That's not the kind of leader we need. That's not the kind of king we need. We need a king who's going to lead us for our good, who's going to rule our hearts, who's going to love us and care for us. Now, did you notice David was a shepherd? Shepherds loved the sheep, protected the sheep, knew the sheep by name. 
And isn't it interesting? David gets anointed as king. And what happens next? He doesn't go off and do a bunch of media appearances with Channel 9 Bethlehem. He doesn't head off to, you know, some kind of elite royal training school. He goes back to the sheep. He goes back to looking after the sheep. What's God saying? He wants a king who's going to be on the throne, but also a king who's going to be a shepherd. He wants a king who's going to be on the throne, but also a king who's going to be a shepherd. Well, fast forward to the book of Ezekiel. David has now long gone, and God is angry because many of his leaders have not been shepherding the people for their good. And he says this is on the screen, Ezekiel 34. He says, I'm going to place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. And Jesus in Mark chapter 6 says, when he landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus Christ is God's shepherd king who loves us, protects us, knows us by name, cares for us deeply. He's the king we need. He's the shepherd we need. And in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. David the shepherd sets the example, the pattern for shepherd kings and the ultimate shepherd king, Jesus Christ. Isn't it a good thing to be a sheep? I think of Psalm 23. I wasn't planning to read it, but Psalm 23, David wrote it. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Isn't it great to be sheep in the pasture of Jesus, our shepherd king? Lastly, David is the spirit-empowered king. The spirit-empowered king. I want you to imagine you come across a boat, a little boat, stuck in the sand. All the water, it's a very low tide, there's no water, it's wedged in the sand. If you walked up to that boat and tried to push it, you'd find it very hard. And it would be very hard to push that boat, wedged in the sand. But suppose the tide started rising and rising and the boat rose and started floating on the water like a boat is meant to. If you waded across to that boat and pushed it, it would glide. That's what it's like with the Holy Spirit. In our own strength, if we want to see lives changed for Jesus, if we want to serve him, if we want to become more like him in our own strength, it's like pushing against that boat without the water. It's impossible. But with the power of God's Spirit empowering us 
strengthening us, changing us. We can do all things for him. No matter how weak you feel, the Spirit empowers us. And that's why, look what happens in verse 13. Verse 13, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The Holy Spirit up to this point in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had come on people in the Old Testament, but it was always temporary for a particular task. But, but this is different because it says the Spirit comes on David from this day forward. And sure enough, what we're going to see over the next few weeks is David with the Holy Spirit has great success. He has great success because God is with him. In fact, you, you heard that in the second part of our chapter. Even Saul is impressed with David and says, gee, the Lord's with him. And Saul makes David his personal musician first and then the armor bearer. But look at the very next verse, verse 14. Look at the contrast. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. So you've got verse 13, David gets the Holy Spirit, and what we're going to see is his rise. Verse 14, Saul, who's rejected God, loses the Spirit, and the next few chapters we're going to see his fall. You see, you try and do things in your own strength without God, and we can't. And when Jesus Christ was baptized, the heavens opened and God's spirit came upon him. And if you're in this room this afternoon and you're a Christian, you have God's spirit in you. God is with you. And with the spirit's power, even the weakest people here can do mighty things for God. 4 p.m., I pray that here at 4 p.m., people's hearts are set on fire for Jesus. People come to know him for the first time and become Christians. Uh, lives are transformed. Children grow in the Lord. People serve in, in radical ways. That's my prayer, that God does mighty things. But none of that is possible without the Spirit, without God's work. And without us praying. It's wonderful, isn't it, to be empowered by the Spirit. To have him use us. There's no greater joy. And so I'm excited about this series. King David. An amazing man. But as I'm sure you can see, David, each week we're going to see how he points us to Jesus. David, the unlikely king. Jesus, the unlikely king, born in a stable, dying on a cross. David, the king God chose. Jesus, God's chosen son of God. David, the shepherd king. Jesus, the good shepherd who loves us, leads us, cares for us, and lays down his life for us sheep. And David, empowered by the Spirit, and as we serve Jesus today, God's Spirit empowers us. Let me ask you, 
Is he your king? That's why 1 and 2 Samuel, I think, are written and are in our Bibles. To ask us, is Jesus our king? Which king do we serve? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for King David, for the stories of his life, his wins, his losses, the way he loved the Lord and led his people. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he was born in such an unlikely town in an unlikely stable, died an unlikely death, but that you exalted him after he was humbled. Thank you that you chose us. Thank you that you see beyond outward appearances, but see the heart. We thank you for the way he shepherds us and leads us. And we pray that by your spirit, you would prepare us for great works of service, loving you, loving others, serving your people here at church, and serving the lost with the gospel. Take us and use us in your service. King Jesus, we want to bow our knees to you.